Let's read uh, this morning just four verses, just the very beginning of chapter 3, and uh, then uh, we'll pray. So Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Oh God, this, uh, this, this word is so rich. All of your word is... Uh, a great feast for us as your people. And these verses are so packed with such amazing truth. Will you please help us by your spirit to hear you speaking your word that we would not ignore you, that we would not set aside the things that you say, that we would not be uh, drawn away and distracted by the cares of this world or the love of other things, uh, our, our tiredness, our hunger, our worries in this life, but that we would hear the Lord Jesus in his word speaking to us, and that we would respond to him in faith and in repentance and in new life. Lord, would you do what only you can do with this word? In Jesus' name, amen. So what does Paul, what does he tell us here in these verses about gospel, gospel transformation? See, that's the title of the sermon. Uh, that will be the title of the next several sermons, Gospel Transformation, Part 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, what does Paul say in these opening verses about the transformation that the gospel brings? He'll go on, as we'll see, to tell us that there are many things that we as Christians need to do in order to pursue and cultivate uh, the sort of holiness that God calls us to as his people. But he begins here where he always begins in his letters by telling us what God has already done in Christ and by urging us to sink our spiritual teeth into these things. So what does he say? There are, uh, maybe predictably, uh, three things that uh, I think we see here in these four verses uh, about gospel transformation. The first is this, that gospel transformation, that is change that is really rooted in Jesus Christ and our union with Him, the gospel transformation is rooted in our new identity. Second, he shows that gospel transformation requires a new mentality. And then finally, that gospel transformation is oriented toward our new destiny. Now these three things, this identity, mentality, destiny, come from years ago I heard uh, a minister preach a sermon on this passage and sometimes something is so crystal clear and it's so helpful uh, in illuminating the text of Scripture that it sticks with you. That's the case here. I've never forgotten, not that I've tried to, that pastor's outline of that what we're seeing here is new identity, new mentality, new destiny. And I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out how to improve upon that uh, uh, nomenclature. So there it is. That's what we're going to use. That Paul is showing that gospel transformation is rooted in our new identity. That it is requiring of us a new mentality and it's oriented toward uh, our new destiny. So let's see what Paul says about these things. Gospel transformation is rooted 
and our new identity. This is in verses 1 and 3. Now, some of you in this room uh, have been adopted into, physically, uh, in this life, you've been adopted into a new family as children. It's it's such a a great picture of God's love for us in Christ. Uh, But one of the things that I, I can only perceive this from the outside, it's not been my own experience, but one of the things it seems to me that an adopted boy or girl has to learn is that they have a new family, that they have a new identity, a new name, even in some cases a new country, a new culture. They may take months or even years to really have that identity, that new identity sink in. But that adopted son steadily grows into the realization that he has a new identity. That adopted daughter learns to live in her new family and enjoy all the privileges that come with her new identity. Well, that's very much true of the experience of the Christian. Being brought out of uh, this world and into the kingdom of God, out of the family or the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus. The experience of the Christian is very similar to all of that. And one of the greatest struggles that we face is that we lose sight of our identity. We fail to appreciate the new identity that we have in Christ. But if we're going to walk in Christ, we have to get our identity straight. Put it this way, people sometimes talk about needing to go find themselves. Well, the Christian always needs to find himself or herself in Christ to keep that identity straight, to keep that identity clear. And so Paul writes here to remind the Colossian believers of their true Christian identity. So if you look at verses 1 and 3, do you see what he says about the Christian? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, look at what he says about you. He says that you've been raised with Christ in verse 1, and that in verse 3, you have died. So Paul is saying that if you're a Christian, you have died with Christ, And you've been raised with Christ. If this is who you are, if you belong to Jesus, then you are dead to sin and alive to God. You have died and you have been raised to new life. This is a total identity change. And that becomes especially clear against the backdrop of the old identity that Paul has laid out in chapter 2. What was the old identity? Well, he said very clearly, you were dead in your trespasses. You were guilty before God. Your sin against him had incurred a debt that you could not pay. And you were enslaved to the rulers and authorities, (coughs) to sin, to the evil powers of this world. That's the old identity. Dead, guilty, enslaved. But Paul, writing to this church, is saying to them now, That is not who you are anymore if you are in Jesus Christ. You have a new identity. God has made you alive with Christ. God has removed your guilt through Christ's payment for your sin on the cross. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has set you free from those enslaving powers, not only of sin, but of, of darkness and of evil, of Satan himself. Now this is who you are. What he's getting at is this so crucial doctrine of union with Christ, the believer's union with Jesus Christ. And and as far as communicating to them their new identity, what he's saying is that by faith in Christ, 
Being a Christian means belonging to Jesus so intimately that everything he has done for you is already actually your possession. That all that he has done is yours truly and really, if not yet finally and perfectly. When Christ died, you died with him. When he was buried, you were buried with him. When he was raised from the dead, you were raised with him to new life. And now you're seated with him at the right hand of God, we're told in Ephesians chapter 1. When Christ was seated at the right hand of God, he took you there with him. When he returns in his glory, he'll bring you there with him. So Paul's saying, if you've been united to Christ, if this is your identity, then the old self has been put off. So put it off. And the new self has been put on. So clothe yourself with it. And all of this means, as Paul presses home to them their new identity, among other things, all of this means that if you are in Christ, dead, buried, risen, alive with him, then you are no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to sin. You're not powerless in the fight against sin. You're dead to sin. It is dead to you. It's power over you has been broken. You're alive to God, united to Christ in His resurrection, which means you're free from sin and free to obey the Lord who is now your King, your Master. God has forgiven you and He has breathed life into you and you are a new man, a new woman, a new child. To be a Christian, Paul is stressing to them, and we need to hear this stress to us this morning. If you are a Christian, you are a supernatural person. If you ever, do you think of yourself that way? If you are a Christian, you are a supernatural person because nothing less than the resurrection power of God is working in you. Because you are alive to God in Jesus Christ. Because you are raised with Christ. You're not yet perfect, but you are new. And so Paul begins by stressing to them that gospel transformation is rooted in, it must begin with an awareness of our new identity in Jesus Christ. But this identity doesn't get worked out in your life automatically. It's not just that knowing this is the same as change doesn't get worked out automatically. Rather, this new identity brings with it a call to a new mentality, a new way of thinking. So we see, secondly, that gospel transformation requires a new mentality. Look at verses 1 and 2. What does Paul say? If then, or the, the sense of it really is since then, because you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, when Paul tells us to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, what's he, what's he saying? Here's what he's saying Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, is yours. And since he is yours, all things are yours. 
What more could you want? Since you're now in Christ, Paul is saying, love Christ. Seek after him. Give him your heart. Give all of yourself to him. He's yours. Everything he's done is yours. So seek after him. The greatest thing you can do as a Christian the greatest thing you can do as a Christian is to set your heart on Jesus. To begin and to grow and to develop in your understanding and your love and your feeling of his greatness and of the greatness of what he has done for you. So that your heart is more and more his and your delight is in him and your joy is in him and you love to worship him and you love to think on him. To fill your heart and your mind with everything you can know about him. Because what happens is that as you love him and delight in him and give your heart to him, you actually become like him. Don't you know how that works in your own life? Haven't you seen that? Someone you truly love and delight in and admire and look up to, don't you want, don't you find that you in some way or other become like that person? Just as you seek after them, so to speak, you admire them, you love them, you begin to become like them. That's how it is with the Christian and with Christ as well. So Paul says, these things that people are telling you about how to grow as a Christian, those aren't heavenly things, those aren't Christ-centered things, those are earthly things. Seek the things that are above. Christ is there. He's done everything for you. He's made himself yours. He's given you everything. Seek him. Make him your treasure. Delight in him. And then Paul says that we also are to fix our minds upon Jesus. Seek after the things that are above, where Christ is. Set your minds on the things that are above. One of the great keys to fruitful, consistent, faithful Christian living is your mind. This does not mean that intelligence is the key. You can be brilliant and completely lost as far as Christ is concerned. Paul isn't talking about how smart you are. He's talking about what you prize, what you value, what you fix your mind on, what you think about, how you think, what you long for. He's saying in his own way that faith, if it's growing and mature, is always in manner with Jesus Christ. Shouldn't that be too obvious to have to say? But I, it's not too obvious to have to say. Faith, if it's maturing and growing in your life, means that you are more and more and more and more occupied with Jesus, enamored with him, uh, attracted to him, focused on him, that he is more and more your absorbing preoccupation. That's just what Christian faith is. And it's only as we love the Lord Jesus and fill our minds and our hearts with the gospel that we'll ever grow as Christians, which is what these last chapters of Colossians are about. It's the same thing that Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's as our minds are renewed in knowing the truth of, of the word of God and of the gospel, that our lives are transformed. It's through the knowledge of the truth that the life is transformed. I think so many of us wonder sometimes why there's not evident transformation in our lives. And perhaps in many cases the answer is not far to find. 
Because the answer is simply we have not set our minds on the truth. We've not given ourselves to the mental and spiritual work of learning the truth about God. It doesn't come naturally. You don't just wake up with the chip downloaded in you as a new Christian. You have to learn these things. There's a wonderful story about a minister who was preaching uh, in the Duke University Chapel one Sunday morning, and he was waiting at the back door after his sermon, which was about the righteousness of God given in Jesus Christ. And a student walked by him at the back door and said, Pastor, I've never heard this before. The pastor's response was, well, of course you haven't. You have to get out of bed in order to hear this. We have to learn. We have to give our minds to the knowledge of the truth if we want our lives to be transformed by the truth. That's the only way for real gospel transformation to occur. Let me put it simply. You cannot and will not grow as a Christian if you're not spending a lot of time thinking about Christ himself. If your mind is not occupied with true thoughts of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's accomplished, who you are in him. If your mind is not increasingly filled and your heart not increasingly filled with the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. If you're not wrapping and setting your mind, closing in on these things daily, hourly, yearly, monthly, you are not growing as a Christian. It is the only way to grow. Gospel transformation requires this new mentality. Paul is saying, all of this is yours. It doesn't depend on your ability to comprehend it. Your possession of Christ is not built on your movement toward Him. But since you have Him, seek Him. Since you have Him, set your mind on Him. And this is how you will grow and be transformed as a Christian. It doesn't happen automatically. It means we need to commit ourselves to reading the Bible, the Word of God, to meditating on it, thinking carefully about it, to praying deeply and often, to getting ourselves here to church as you are this morning, to sit under the preaching of the Word of God, to hear the Gospel, to encourage and challenge one another in the body of Christ. I mean, challenge and encourage each of us in our relationships with one another. We need to speak of Christ to each other to point one another to Christ, to remind ourselves of our identity in Him, to, to ask, hey, are you seeking the things that are above? Are you setting your mind on Christ? Tell me how you're doing that. I'd love to learn from you. And so as we do this, setting our hearts and minds on Christ, what Paul says we'll actually become like Him. I wonder if this, so to, to put it one way, sort of unlocks a mystery for some of you may have been wondering, why is it that I never seem to get, get along very far in the Christian life? Why is it that I'm still struggling with this or with that? Why, why is this? Why, what's wrong with me? Perhaps, very simply, it's that you haven't set your mind and your heart on Christ. You haven't given Him much consideration. You haven't pursued Him. He is yours, Paul is saying, if you're a Christian. All that He has is yours. Seek after him. Say your mind on him. Then finally, Paul shows us in verses 3 and 4 that we need to be encouraged by the new destiny that's ours in Christ. Gospel transformation is rooted in our new identity. Gospel transformation calls us, requires of us a new mentality. 
And gospel transformation is oriented towards our new destiny. Verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. What does it mean? Paul says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's a unique expression. It's not anywhere else in the New Testament. Your life as a Christian is hidden with Christ in God. You have this new life, but it's tucked away. It's hidden with Christ. And I think what Paul is saying is that there is both a, a secrecy and a safety to your life as a Christian believer. You can't see, you can't see or understand everything that it means for you to be a Christian. There are things about you as a Christian man or woman or child, there are things about you that you haven't yet realized that you can't realize in this life. You just can't see it, you can't comprehend it. Like I said, you're supernatural. A Christian is otherworldly. You can't completely understand who you are in Jesus Christ. The world around you certainly can't grasp who you are as a Christian. But Paul is saying that no one can take you from the Father's hand or from Christ's hand. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I am the Father. See, even though you yourself can't see it and the world around you can't see it, the reality as a Christian is that your life is absolutely, perfectly secure because your whole life is resting in the sovereign hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also covered over and protected by the loving hand of your Father who is in heaven. Amazing thing this is. And even though for now your life is hidden with Christ in God, one day everything will be brought right out into the open and you will be plain to everybody. Oh, that's who she was. That's who he was. And Paul is encouraging them with this knowledge that what is hidden will be disclosed. As well as saying what is hidden with Christ in God is absolutely secure. And one day when Christ returns in glory, you will appear with him in glory. This is what the Apostle John was thinking about in his old age. When he wrote to his Christian friends in 1 John 3, verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. You see, there's that secrecy, that hiddenness. What we will be has not yet been revealed. But what we know is that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now all of this, that your life is hidden with Christ in God, that when Christ, who is your life, appears in glory, you will appear with him in glory. But all of this is intended and meant for you to be a great comfort and an encouragement and a source of strength, particularly when, say, you're ridiculed for your faith in Christ. You're misunderstood or misrepresented because you take a stand for Christ in this world. Or when you're weighed down with some kind of suffering or trial, 
You can, this means, Paul is saying, you can take it all. You can endure it all. The suffering, the opposition, the scorn, the persecution, the rejection. You can take it, you can endure it all and say, it's okay. It's okay. Because as painful and as difficult as this is for me now, one day the whole world will see who I am. One day the whole world will see me as a redeemed, glorified child of God. So I can wait for that day. I can trust God until that day when finally even I'll realize who I am and all. And I'll see the Lord Jesus for who He truly is. See, Paul is saying that this gospel transformation, this change that God is doing in the life of the Christian has got to be oriented towards this new destiny that's ours. Because if you're not thinking about this, you will forget it very quickly. But the Lord Jesus is so committed to his people, so committed to you, to his people, that he won't even appear in his glory without you. So I wonder if you're learning as a Christian to think of yourself as someone who will appear with Christ in his glory the last day. It's been said that the test of Christian maturity is that you're thinking more and more about the coming of Christ and about the world to come. But it might be safe to think that many of us in this room, by that standard, have not progressed very far. Do you think of yourself as one who will appear in the glory of Jesus on the day when he comes? Paul is saying that's not just some exercise for the theologian in his study. That is what you need to do for your own strength and comfort as a Christian. To know that Christ is your life. That he is so much your life that your life is hidden with him and God. Tucked away. And that when he appears, you will appear. That when he comes in his glory, he'll share it with you. Doesn't that help you to endure this life? Doesn't that help you to stand and trust him and walk, to live for him? It takes us right back to what Paul was saying about the new mentality. Because when you begin to realize that all of this is already yours, and you begin to sink your teeth into the treasure that's yours, this glorious destiny that's yours, it really will change the way you think and live and feel everything about it. Now let me try to apply this uh, in a few different ways. Some of you, some of you are sitting here this morning and you're hearing all of this. You're just not interested. You may not be hostile to it or antagonistic to it, you may be indifferent. You may think it's actually really great for other people like us to believe this, these things. But as for you, you're just not interested. You don't really need these things. I would guess that underneath that, there's some kind of assumption that you're okay, that you're self-sufficient, that while some people need to believe things like this, you don't. I want to ask you, are you really self-sufficient? Are you really sufficient in and of yourself to live in this world, much less to face God in the world to come? After hearing all this amazing news about who Jesus is, about what he's done and what he freely gives to those who come to him, do you really think you can do without him? 
Can you really hear all of this? Still walk away thinking that you can get along fine without Jesus? That is what you'll do apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, but I, I want to challenge you with those questions. Some of you know that you're not self-sufficient, but your problem is a different one. You're exhausted from trying all of your life, however old you are or however young you are, you're exhausted from trying to carve out an identity for yourself, trying to find satisfaction and joy in all kinds of things, and none of it has worked, none of it has done the job, none of it belongs. So I want to ask you, if that's where you are, you know that you're not self-sufficient, you know that you're weak, but you have looked in all of the wrong places for satisfaction, for joy, for life, and none of it has given life. So I want to ask you this morning, are you seeing anything of the kindness and greatness of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you see that here? Are you able to see that he generously and freely gives himself, not just some things, but himself, all of himself, all that he's done, and he gives all of that freely to everyone who comes to him. Are you beginning to see that about Jesus? Do you know that if you come to him today, what you can do, do you know that if you come to him today, he will receive you? And he'll do for you all the things that we're talking about today. He'll give you himself, and he'll take you as his own. But he'll be all yours, and that in him all things will be yours. And finally, you know what will happen? Finally, you can stop chasing all the things that you've been chasing all your life. But I hope that most of us here are Christians. We know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in Him as your Savior and your Lord. But like these Colossian believers, maybe you've forgotten who you are. Maybe you've lost sight of your identity. And that's why you find yourself in such a low, ineffective, fruitless condition. What are you to do? The Lord has spoken clearly in these verses that we've read this morning. He's saying if, you're, if you are a Christian, then you've died and you've been raised with Christ. So remember who you are and seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look again to Christ and see that a treasure too great for heaven itself to contain is already yours in Christ. And that at the last day, God will pour it out in its perfection on you forever. Alicia and I used to enjoy uh, watching the Antiques Roadshow. I, I don't know if the show's still on or not. But we used to enjoy uh, watching it together. And people come out, come in with some personal item. I'm sure if many of you have seen the show, they come in with some personal item. And there are appraisers who are there to evaluate what people bring in. <coughs> and for the most part, uh, they're maybe sentimentally valuable, but not not materially very, very valuable. But occasionally, occasionally you see someone come in with this treasure. And maybe it's been in their house for 
30 years, 50 years. Maybe it's been in the garage. Maybe it's been in the attic. It's been passed down from through the generations of the family. It was picked up at a yard sale. It was given to a my friend. But occasionally you see someone come in and they had no idea that what they had had all along for all these years was so pricelessly valuable. And then the appraiser from the Antiques Roadshow says, do you realize what you have here? And their eyes are open to some degree, and when they leave, not a lasting change of life, but they've, they've been affected. But a much more profound level. That's what Paul's doing here. I'm saying to you, if you're a Christian, do you realize what you have? Do you realize the treasure? Have you set your mind on this? Are you seeking Christ who is seated at the right hand of God for you? Do you see what's yours? He knows that they don't see because that's why they're listening to this other teaching that's running them ragged, seeking fullness in ways that can never produce it. So he says to them, and through him God says to you today, as a Christian believer, do you see? Do you see what you have? If you're anything like me, you're not the Christian you want to be. You feel poor and weak. But when you hear this word this morning and hear as God uses it to lift up your head as a believer in Christ, to see the treasure that's yours, to fix your heart upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember this glorious destiny that reach you. Because as you do it, you will be learning to enjoy living every day of your life in the resources that belong to you as a new man, a new woman, a new boy, a new girl in Jesus Christ. What if you're still on the outside? Some of you. Maybe you've just come here for the first time today. Maybe you've been here for years. And maybe you're still on the outside looking in. You still don't know these treasures. They're not yours because you're not in Christ. It's a great invitation to you today. Come. Come to Jesus. Come to Him. Seek after Him. He will not put you off. He will receive you. And He never runs out of His treasures. Gives them all to everyone who comes to him. Come to him. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection. We thank you that you pour out the gifts of the gospel so generously on us. Pray that for those who are here who do not know Christ, who are dead in their sin, and who are powerless, who cannot love him because
because they do not know him and are not in him, that you would save them, that you would show to them the glory of the gospel, the beauty and power of Jesus Christ, and that they would come in to him and be made alive. Lord, I pray for those of us who, who are believers in Christ, and yet we are weak and we fail and we sin and we struggle and we're tempted and we lose sight of our identity. Lord, would you take this word and whatever has been good and profitable that has been said, use it, seal it to our hearts and our minds that we would be built up in Christ and we would realize that we don't lack for anything. So Lord, take this word and use it, we pray. Seal it to us even now as we come to the Lord's table. Turn our hearts and our minds and our, our affections and our longings to Christ who is seated at your right hand and will come from there and bring us home. We ask it in his name.